There can hardly be a greater London legacy than that of saving lives of Londoners every day on the River Thames. For centuries, the Thames has been the iconic lifeblood of our glorious city, but there is also a darker side to this ancient tidal river. This is the calling and passion of many supremely dedicated men and women who work for the amazing Royal National Lifeboat Institution, or RNLI. Chiswick RNLI Lifeboat Station is one of four on the Thames. It is the second busiest in the UK and Ireland. Since its launch in 2002, Chiswick has attended over 3,500 incidents and rescued over 1,730 people. Unlike other stations, Chiswick operates around-the-clock crew ready to launch within 90 seconds. Full-time crew work alongside volunteers from all sections of society who give up their time to help save lives on the Thames. This is the story of Mark Terrell and James Anthony, who have dedicated their lives for very good personal reasons to the RNLI. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. Before we meet this week's wonderful guest, here's a little something for you. If you're a fan of the show and would like to get involved and support us at Your London Legacy and help us keep producing amazing content just for you, you can get involved over on our Patreon page. We take every penny and we'll reinvest it back into the show. If you want to get involved and get hold of some really cool benefits or have us create your very own London Legacy episode or maybe meet up with us and other London Legacy lovers in London, you can do that too over at www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy. Okay, let's get on with the show. Well, today I'm delighted to say I am at the Royal National Lifeboat Institute in Chiswick. Uh, what's the formal name for the uh, the site here? What do you actually call it, Mark? This is, well, this is uh, Chiswick Lifeboat Station. Chiswick Lifeboat Station. Yeah. Okay. And I'm actually thrilled to be here because it's actually recommended to me. My dad said to me a few weeks ago, he said, why don't you get those guys on from, from the RNLI? And you guys are actually on my list to interview and to get on the show. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be here and that you've welcomed me onto your onto your turf, your manor. So today we are joined by, it's Mark Terrell, I correct, believe. Yes, 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 that's correct. And James Anthony. Yes, that's right. At the uh, RNLI in Chiswick. Now, I was saying to the guys before we started on, you know, live, that in all the interviews I've done so far, well, the vast majority of them, the River Thames seems to have some impact on the lives of the people, whether we're talking about the police, whether we're talking about, you know, unfortunately, suicide, or, or just people living or working alongside the river. So what you guys do is a, is a very, very important service, obviously. And it's very important for us to understand what you do, why you do it, your passion about it. And so to get you two guys here today is, is lovely. So if you can just sort of introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background. So let's start with Mark first. How did you get involved in RNLI? Well, first off, what does the RNLI do? Just give us a brief summary of that. Uh, the RNLI provides uh, search and rescue cover around the uh, the coast of the UK and Ireland. And uh, over recent years, it's kind of expanded into inland waterways as well. So we now have the uh, the RNLI lifeguards around uh, many of the, the sort of coastal uh, resorts uh, around the UK and, and Ireland and obviously here on the on the Thames is sort of progressed inland now to take into consideration places like the river here uh, in London which is extremely busy and uh, they sort of started setting it up early 2000 and then we went live in January 2002 we went live on the on the River Thames so here the RNLI as I understand it has actually been going since I think the late 1800s or something like that it was, it was yeah. set up a long long time ago yeah so why is it taken such a long time for Thames to be a part, an intrinsic part of, you know, RNLI? 
the lifeboats were put on the Thames because of one incident, which was back in 1989, which was the collision between the Marchioness and the, and the Bow Bell, mm. um, a dredger and, uh, and a party boat which happened around sort of Southwark Bridge. And, uh, you know, there was over 50 lives lost in that one incident on the river. And um, it was found that after that incident, there was actually no dedicated search and rescue service on the on the River Thames as we were sort of providing around the coast. We had the, the PLA, Port of London Authority, and the police and the fireboat, but no actual dedicated search and rescue service. So the Maritime Coast Guard Agency were approached and said, you know, would you coordinate search and rescue on the on the River Thames, you know, so that we can try and minimise the, the chances of, of, of this sort of incident ever happening again. Mm. And um, the, the Coast Guard Agency said, uh, yeah, they would be prepared to coordinate a search and rescue service on the Thames, but only if it was provided by the Royal National Lifeboat Institution. Okay. I think a lot, many of the people who listen to this podcast probably won't be familiar with the Marchioness disaster, but it was probably, I think, one of the biggest modern-day tragedies on the, on the River Thames. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah. And in fact, I interviewed several months ago the curator of the Thames River Police Museum, a chap called Rob Jeffries, yep. who um, was on duty, I think, that, oh, really? that particular evening when, when the uh, disaster happened. Mm. And people don't realise just being on a boat, you think you're safe when you're just on a boat, even having a party, you know, and having some drinks. And obviously tragedy struck that day because there yeah. were, I think, as you say, sufficient lookouts or something on, on yeah, either Yeah, it went boat. down. I mean, it was, if, I mean, it's quite interesting to read about it. And, and, and many of us have, have read up about it because it's, it's part of our sort of heritage on the, on the Thames. Mm. Uh, it, it's why we're here, basically. Mm. There was no sort of inve- investigation as such into the incident. There was no charges brought on anybody. Um, the government refused to do uh, a formal investigation into it, so the, it was left to the sadly to the to the families of those who perished that night to bring a private prosecution. Mm. But even with that, it was found that there was not one person or or persons um, you know at fault. It was purely you know the, a bad lookout on both boats yeah. because the the dredger collided with the with the back of the party boat. It ran into the back of it, and therefore it spun it round to port. I think it was spun it round to port, and then proceeded to basically sort of run over it. Mm. From the first collision until the boat sank it was thirty seconds. It took just thirty seconds. It's just staggering to think, isn't it, how quickly that went down? Yeah, just remarkable. Just give us some perspective on the size, the respective sizes of the two boats, because the dredger was enormous by comparison, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the the dredger was twice the size of yeah. of the party boat. There was over a hundred sort of party goers on the on the, on the boat because of the weight of the dredger as well. Um, it just it, it just pushed the the party boat to where it wanted it, and it mm. say it hit it on the on the stern of it, which which spun it one way, and then because because there was no lookout and and the boat carried on, it literally just ran over the top, mm. and, and it literally pushed the. The, the party boat underneath the water mm. and uh, say from the first strike until the boat was completely sunk was just 30 seconds. It's quite frightening and it's just also for the listener's benefit we're sitting in you know the meeting room by, by the Thames here in the the uh, main headquarters of the Chiswick RNLI and obviously if your emergency phone goes we'll have to down our mics and obviously <laughs> yes. let, let you go god forbid that we have another Marchioness disaster but obviously you're on call 24-7 you guys so what, how do you actually work what is the operational setup here in terms of you know personnel and the hours and the shifts and, and everything like that we have nine full-time members of staff 
because around the coast it's done purely with volunteers as as people are probably aware we've both done a stint as as volunteers on the coast which is i was on the gulston great yarmouth lifeboat as a as a volunteer before i started here and including when i was full-time here i was doing four days here full-time and then crewing the boat on my time off so it was all lifeboats 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 you couldn't run the rnli on the thames in that way because nobody would ever make the boat because you get a pager and you could be shopping you you, you could you could be anywhere you could mm-hmm. be doing anything and your pager goes and you've got to get down to the to lifeboat station you know as quick as possible around the coast yeah that that's that's fine but i mean anywhere in and around london with the traffic it would be pointless you'd no, never make point, the boat never considered that yeah what it was based on that, that that we could put lifeboats on the thames but they would have to be manned 24 hours a day okay and so it was said that initially we would want uh, we would require two full-time members of staff and one volunteer so back when we started in 2002 the lifeboats were crewed with with three lifeboat crew now now we've got the bigger boats the mark ii e-class boats uh, that's crewed by four so you still have two full-time members of staff and two volunteers because the only wanted to maintain that that volunteer ethos that the only was built upon so therefore to have volunteers here on a daily and, and, and nightly basis they're here with the full-time staff 24 7 so as i said it is it is different how it's run here so here and uh, the stations on the Thames in general, other than Teddington, they're still a, on a, on a pager system. But uh, ourselves, Tara and Gravesend, we run uh, twelve-hour shifts. So the volunteer basically gets to the station for about seven o'clock in the morning. We're on shift from seven thirty, seven thirty. So we do a, a shift handover from seven o'clock till seven thirty, and then we're on station from seven thirty till seven thirty, and um, we do the boat maintenance. We do the station maintenance, we do station visits, we do we respond to service calls, we do training sessions where we go afloat for, for two, three, four hours at a time and train to keep our, our skill levels up to where they need to be. Because when that when the phone goes, you've got seconds to react and you need to you need to get your head in the game straight away. So it's uh, that that's the way we sort of run it here on on the Thames as opposed to around the coast. Where was this ninety second deadline come from? What's that based on? You've got to re- respond within ninety seconds. Yeah, that was that was sort of set out in the in the early stages of of when the, the Thames were being set up, and we needed a a response time. So all the times were were sort of worked out within fifteen minutes. Uh, so we had to be at any incident within fifteen minutes. So the the lifeboat stations were strategically placed with that in mind. That's why they are where they are, um, like ourselves here at Chiswick. Uh, Tower initially were down at Tower Pier, but then they they moved up to, to sort of Waterloo Bridge, and then you've got Gravesend. So the times between the stations should slightly overlap each other. So we sure. always, or ninety percent of the time, we respond within fifteen minutes. For us here at Chiswick and, and, and the other stations, I guess you know we 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 can be with people in far less time than that. We can be with people if it's a call to Hammersmith, you know, we're there within three minutes. You know, if it's called to Richmond, we're talking eight, nine minutes, ten minutes maybe max. So we're there well within the, the response time. So what, what, what's the parameters and geographical parameters of your patch? So Battersea, I think, is one end, is it? Well, so for us, we, we cover all the way up to Richmond Bridge. Mm-hmm. And then we cover all the way down to sort of Cadogan Pier, Albert Bridge. That's, that's sort of roundabout Chelsea. 
um, then we, we kind of overlap with Charles. So we've, we've got areas of, of, of overlap, obviously, yeah. which would be, which we would class as a sort of, for us and Tara, I guess, um, Battersea Park would be like an overlap section. So if it was an incident by Battersea Park, both boats would get tasked because you've always got one boat going with the tide and another boat going against the tide. So how we work it when we're doing search and rescue, if you're going with the tide, you go to the datum point, which is the point that the person was last seen. If you're going against the tide, you have to work out your search area because you, the casualty potentially is coming down towards the boat. So you, if you go to the datum point on an incoming tide, then you're basically going to be racing a boat through an area where the casualty may be. So we have overlap periods where it's a two-boat sort of scenario. Are there areas on the, on your patch where there's significantly more incidents than others, or do you have quiet patches and busy patches? Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, you could say that we're tasked to Hammersmith Bridge, Putney Bridge, quite often. You know, there are certain bridges, without advertising which they are, that someone who might be about to commit self-harm might, you know, treat that bridge as a, a, a likely spot. Mm. There are other bridges with more footfall and more traffic that preclude them from doing that. Mm. But obviously, you don't want a list of bridges, you know. No, no, no. I think, I think anyone minded yeah. to, to, to solve harm would probably, would probably know what they intended to yeah. do anyway. But I just, I wasn't talking specifically yeah. of self-harm, but I, yeah. I thought, no. are, are there so, danger spots or hot spots on the river where certain incidents are more likely to happen? Obviously, self-harm is one off bridges, but maybe, I don't know, traffic areas, for example. Well, pretty much are... all of our patch, we can be tasked to something. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Last Friday night, it was some eco-protesters down at an area called Fulham Flats. But similarly, Mark had seen Mark and I had seen them the night previously up um, towards Kew. So they could have ran into bother at any of, you know, any spot between those two areas. So what were they doing? Uh, they were protesting about uh, plastics in the sea. Uh-huh. But what are they physically doing? They're actually on the on uh, their boats? They with... were in a, um, a homemade raft construction <laughs> laced together. Okay. It's quite a tricky protracted. Not seaworthy or riverworthy. Not seaworthy. No. no okay. That was one way of putting okay. it. Cool. It all ended well, though. <laughs> so how did, how did you get involved, um, James? I was a volunteer or, uh, for a few years, and I kept my old job. Um, at the Evening Standard, as we've already Yeah, I think discussed. you mentioned that. Yeah. And then <laughs> so, folks, it appears when, to be a standing uh, joke that James never mentions that. <laughs> they, uh, when uh, George Osborne became the editor and the managing editor needed to balance the books, uh-huh. they offered five of us a year's money to leave and two of us took it. And I said to my station manager, I'd be available for more shifts, more volunteering mm-hmm. shifts. And one thing led to another and they still can't get rid of me. And now I'm <laughs> full time here. What was your role at the Evening Standard? Uh, writing headlines. Uh-huh. And everyone always says, was that it? And I say, yes, that's it. <laughs> that's what sells the papers. <laughs> yeah. 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 What was your so best? obviously this is a bit, you know, huge difference. Yeah. Uh, and I did find latterly that it was very frustrating to be here on a, a night shift, for instance, be, you know, conversing with the Coast Guard, declining or accepting um, an invitation for the police helicopter to come along in a search and then to go back to the daily mundaneness of producing news. Mm. It, it used to be a bit of a, you know, it used to slightly do my head in. Yeah. So... What was your best headline? Uh, it was f- for The Sun, actually, yeah. and it was Hubby's Hard Luck, uh, dear Deirdre Page. The wife had written in to say that her husband couldn't lose an erection. 
You did ask. I, I, I did ask. <laughs> Unfortunately, we, we're free to say and do yeah. what we want on this podcast. <laughs> we have an explicit rating. Not that that's explicit, yeah. but uh, no, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I did ask. Yeah. <laughs> I should have expected that, I guess. <laughs> well, you don't have any of those headline writing problems here anyway, no. do you? No, yeah. completely different job. Uh, <laughs> you might have those problems but you don't know those headline and, writing problems uh, obviously no one joins the royal national lifeboat institution for uh, for the salary yeah so you kiss goodbye to the big salary but uh-huh. the job satisfaction is immense is it immeasurably Huge. superior to the satisfaction yeah. of working yeah. in i mean every job Street. has its frustrations obviously yeah. and you know but no it's uh, it's massive compared yeah. to uh, how it used to be yeah so how long have you been full-time now couple of years uh-huh. yeah two and a half years maybe so so what are your respective roles you're the, you're both full-time here yeah what are your respective roles well, today mark's the helmsman and i'm the mechanic uh-huh and that uh, that varies then yeah you that can that vary from... yeah so you're rotated um, on and off and yeah helm... according to the roster okay uh mark's obviously way more experienced than me he's been doing it for hundreds of years mm-hmm. so yeah that's my role today okay so we've been d- d- uh, down to the boats done the boat checks as mark would expect of his mechanic and then any problems that we find, we can alert him and then we can work around them for this coming set of four days. We have a, a set of four days or four nights. Then we go off In shift. shift patterns. Yeah. 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 Okay, where, where you alternate your yeah, responsibilities. Yeah, so Mark and I are on days this set. We have two opposite numbers who will be on nights. Right. Then on day four, can't tell you, I barely know what day of the week it is now that we work you know, four on, four off. Yes. Um, another watch comes on and they'll do their set right. of four days. And the night shift is from seven in the evening till uh, yeah, seven, till in the seven in the morning. So you've yeah. got sleeping facilities here, obviously. Yeah, this, yeah, I've slept in this room more times than I've slept in Have my you? own bedroom in the last This is a years. meeting room. Where, where would you uh, sleep? I sleep in on here? the mattress on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Where's the mattress? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have got a camp bed somewhere. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Okay. Tell us some of the um, things that people get up to on the river, some of the pranks and practical... It could be anything. Uh, I mean, I I used to keep a diary when I first started, uh, Mm. and I stopped, because Chiswick is the second busiest station nationwide, so, you know, you do end up, if you're here a lot, you do end up getting involved in a lot of jobs. So that's the second busiest in the whole of the country, not just on the Thames? No, no, no. Nationwide, yeah. Okay, so what what, what sort of number of calls do you tend to Uh, get? We're we're up to one nine... Oh, 199 at the moment. So last for what period? For this year, January through until this year. How, 199. Sorry, 199. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And how many of those are a serious or a genuine shout, would you say? Um, the vast a majority? substantial uh, number. Yeah. 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 We, we're quite lucky. We don't have many stand downs here. Mm. Some stations will get stand downs, mm. but we don't. But sometimes you get a call out and you go out to it and it's not as serious as you think or you're led to believe or it's. Or is there always something? I think to there's be been going? the White Rabbit in Barnes, hasn't there? Yeah. Which was a man dressed up as a White Rabbit. Usually, it, it, it is serious enough, <laughs> and on the occasions that it isn't serious, everyone's quite relieved. Was that a man dressed up in a, as a White Rabbit? Yeah, I gather. Yeah. Paddling in the Thames or something? No, I think or was he just walking up the towpath or something? Just walking yeah. around. You got yeah. called out to that. Yeah. Fantastic. It's a crazy place, London. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't I know it? <laughs> <laughs> so you're extremely you're extremely busy. Yep. Is it predominantly saving lives? Uh, or, or assisting last um, I can only you know talk from my yeah, yeah, point yeah. of view what I've done over the last couple of weeks so um, we got drawn into the eco protest last one night last week as I've already mentioned this is uh, extinction well, I forgot what they call yeah, the, it extinction revolution we on about plastic yeah. in the sea oh right yeah with that. Um, we've had um, what have I had lately scholars in the water you know they've fallen out 
vessels that need a tow. Mm-hmm. It's the whole gambit of what you'd expect. Yeah, things things change. You know, the, the jobs, the, the, the service calls that we get, you'll get tasked to 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 one thing, and you'll turn up on on scene, and and things can dramatically change, either for the worst or or for the better. Mm. You know, you can get tasked to a boat adrift. And then by the time you get there, you find that actually it is a drift, but somebody's overboard, someone's in the water. So the, the initial sort of call that we get can change in the time that it takes you to, in the few minutes that it takes you to get there. And we we can be dealing with all, all sorts of stuff. And, and it kind of, the the demographic sort of changes as you as you go down the river as to, as to what jobs, what service calls you get. You know, up here is a big, big rowing fraternity yeah. up here. So... At rowers and we have a lot of boat races with thousands of competitors on the on the river to, you know and and if the if the weather blows up i know it's a river it's very very tidal the thames people, people don't, don't appreciate to, that no they don't yeah. they don't and just the tidal set on its own you know it takes eight hours eight hours to go out but just four hours to come in mm. so it comes in at a, a fair pace you're looking at four five six knots of tide some some days mm. and if you had a, have a had a lot of rainfall as well the fields all just drain they drain into the river, so you've got that additional water coming down as well. You and know. although the cleanliness of the river has improved over the years, it's still you don't want to take in too much, do you? No, it's <laughs> it's no, it's you do really don't want to be um you don't want to be in there. Be it's not it. no, it's it's not great. So I mean, you you must see some pretty awful things sometimes, and I'm guessing you've both been involved in some fatalities as well. Yeah. What what level of training do you guys have for your, for yourself, and in terms of maybe I know those who have suffered bereavement, you know, those who are involved in it, what, what training do you have? Well, the, the, I mean, we're given the, the training to deal with everything that we, that we get tasked to in, in, a, in a form of casualty care for a start. So that's, that's sort of taken us to uh, a new level in the old first aid that we used to deliver. So they've, they've kind of ramped up, uh, you know, what we're capable of doing. You know, we, we, uh, on the Thames here, we, we carry AEDs, the defibrillators, we mm-hmm. carry those on the boat. So, and we use them quite, quite regular, you know, to shock people mm-hmm. who's in cardiac arrest. As far as the kit goes, we've got everything that we need and the training that we do down in pool. So we go away on training courses to enable us to do the job first and foremost. But then we've also got, um, the RNLI also provides a backup system for anybody who's who's been involved in a in a traumatic service. Mm. Um, so we've got the the, the trim, which is uh, trauma risk incident management, which provides um, aftercare. Really, that's for, to support you guys. Yeah, that's to support to us. PTSD yeah. and those sort yes, of, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly that. Mm. Because we've all pretty much been faced with with a situation of either turning up to a dead body, or at the end of the call, it turning out that that's the way it's gone, and you know you have to you've got to you've got to manage this uh, because it's it's something that that you can't afford to allow it to consume you it is a job that we're doing here but uh, you know we treat every casualty we go to with the utmost respect mm. it's it's always someone's daughter or someone's son or someone's dad or whatever sure. and i've you know i i've got kind of personal things surrounding that because my my father drowned when i was 8 years old oh god off a, a fishing boat, just off Lowestoft, uh-huh. uh, which is when I joined the Galston Great Yarmouth crew. It was the waters that we we patrolled there that yeah. he was that he, that he is drank. that what got you involved yeah. in in yeah, RNLI? Definitely, yeah, definitely. It, it, not until quite a while later, because mm. um, obviously you know when I was old enough, 
I was working offshore and my, my mother didn't want me to, she didn't want me to go to sea. She didn't want me even to work offshore. On the That's Oryx. understandable. Um, and she certainly didn't want me on the, on the lifeboats, which was mm. looking back now, it was probably the safest place to be, uh, you know, from what I know now. But it was always going to happen. I was always going to get involved with the RNLI at some point. Mm. And that's why um, when my job role sort of changed and I was more shore-based, I could give give the, the RNLI the time uh, to volunteer to crew the boat at Galston. So that, that's Galston Great Yarmouth is where I cut my teeth, mm. if you like. That's where I got my sea legs from. They've got a, an offshore boat, the big offshore class, uh, Trent class lifeboat there. And also the, the inshore boat as well, the Atlantic uh, 75. It must be very different though, being um, offshore, that the conditions, obviously the sea conditions and the weather conditions must be totally different to working in the, in the river conditions here. The whole, the whole thing is, is different, you know, off, you know, on, on the coast, uh, the jobs that I was involved with as a volunteer with with Galston were, would be mainly sort of um, fishing boats in trouble. So you, you'd sort of steam 20, 20 miles off, off the mm. coast and, uh, you know, hitch up a tow and then, and then spend, you know, six or seven hours towing them back into port, that sort of thing. Whereas here, um, there's much more of a sort of a medical emergency yeah. feel through through the whole of the Thames. Yeah. And the um, incidents are much quicker because your response is so much faster. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing, you know, and we talk about this a lot here. Um, around the coast, you know, you've got the time that it takes you to drive from your home to the station mm. and then get the kit on. You're told roughly what the what the job is. So you've got all that time to work out where you're going, how you're going to get there, what you're going to do when you get there. You know, here you've you've got sort of seconds to make some of these decisions, you know. Uh, so you've got to really sort of switch on and, and, and be good to go, uh, you know, sort of 24-7, which is, which is what we are. Let's take a very quick break just to remind you, if you love the show and would like to get involved, grab some cool stuff, get shout-outs on the show, have us create your very own London Legacy show, or you meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. James was, um, no, I was going to say, James was uh, in journalism. What, what were you doing before you became full-time? Uh, mechanic, mechanical engineer. Right. I was doing mechanical engineering. Uh-huh. I, I had done since I left school. So we would sort of work in uh, sort of offshore on the oil rigs doing the, the structural maintenance. So your mechanical background's presumably come in very handy for all Yeah, yeah, it has definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's come in very handy. You can you can kind of um, use a lot of that to, mm. to, to coincide with what we're sort of doing here, you know, boat-wise. And um, it sort of stands you in good stead for, for sort of fault finding and, and sort of things like that. Mm. So, yeah, it's, uh, although it wasn't marine, um, it's definitely come in handy for, mm. for the time that I've been here. I mean, I, we went live in 2002 here and I started I started volunteering here in 2003. So you've been here right from the off, more yeah, or less? Pretty much. Yeah. I started volunteering uh, 2003. And then I was uh, I was lucky enough to get a full time job two thousand and four, and now I've I've sort of got I've probably got a um, couple of t- sort of two years left, or, or you know, and, and, and until potentially sort of retiring. But you, you can still volunteer, presumably, once you've retired. Or, or yeah, is that yeah, it? yeah. As long as you meet the the sort of uh, medical oh, criteria. Medical <clears throat> yes, it's right, yeah. but it's as James alluded to earlier. You know, it's um, the the RNLI thing in general is is a core thing with people. You all do it for the same reason, and, and it's not for what you get out of it financially yes. at all. Whether you're full-time or whether you're volunteering, you know, it's not a financial gain. It's it's about making a difference 
and especially for me with with what happened to my father sure you know for everyone that we can save then I, I, it's a personal thing that it's, it's it's one for my dad yeah you know absolutely it must be a fabulous feeling when you go go out on a shout and you you're able to save somebody who otherwise wouldn't be here but for, but for your presence oh there's no other feeling you can't liken it to anything else you know we've had we've had situations here um where people have have come up to the station, you know, 12 months, you know, two years later and said, uh, you know, just, and, and brought, brought up bottles of wine or cases of beer and said, yeah. you know, 18 months ago, you know, you pulled me out of the river at Putney, you know, I, I was in a bad place, you know, for whatever reason. But since then, you know, I'm glad you, I didn't want to live, you know, but uh, I'm now glad that you did save me. And, um, you know, I've turned my life around, you know, I've got a different job, a job and, uh, I'm in a better relationship. So and is, is there like an attempt on suicide nearly every day? No, or every no. week? Would you say? Uh, it, you, I don't think you can put a you can put a a, a kind of a a weekly or, or monthly yeah. kind yeah. of feel to it. You know, that you know you you you'll get several in in succession, and mm. then you you'll go, you know, a few days or so mm. without any sort of attempt at life. You know, but not, you know, coming in here every day, you know, the chances are you're going to get something like that on a on, oh a, yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. yeah, and you must be told that before you join. This is the sort of thing you're going to come across. You're yeah, gonna, you do. You, you know, you know what to expect, mm. but it's never, it's never going to be nice mm. seeing your first deceased body. No, no, of course. And that's why when we, when we as full time staff, you know, when when we have the new recruits on board, we have to play that very, very carefully and make sure that we think that you know people are are ready for that and, mm. and they're the ones who know that and we've got the crew and I, I've i often you know if I, if it's that sort of a job if it's an obviously deceased body when we get there then the person it's going to be a recovery which is mainly done by the police the police boat will come up and, and retrieve them and we'll, we'll hang on to them until they get there if that's the case then we've got the option there with, with, with the newer guys to say look this is what it is if you're if you're happy then that's fine. You can get involved. If you're not happy, then you can go and s- sit at the back and, and sort of look the other way because we don't want to expose people to, to that until they're ready and only they know when when, when they're, they're sort of ready for that. So we have to manage that very, very comfortably, mm. you know, at the time. So how do you work alongside the police? How, how does that work? Say a 999 call, 999 call comes in. Presumably it's all through 999 that it gets diverted to you. Yeah, a, uh, through London Coast Guard. Yeah. Our red phone rings. Marcus Helm today will say, yes, we'll launch. Uh, we launch. If the police are involved, uh, London Lifeboats, well, Tower and Chiswick both carry um, something called an ES3 airwave radio, which allows us to communicate with the police and indeed London Ambulance Service. So it might be a police helicopter, more likely than not be maritime police, mm. river police. And then we can communicate with each other physically through ES3. But presumably, apart from the obvious, like, you know, self-harming and incidents like that, presumably not every incident on the river is necessarily one that involves the police, involved, no, and requires certainly the police. It. Very, very often we are, we are it. There will be no police. So, for instance, the other night the police came and helped us. That's reasonably rare at Chiswick. We're, we're usually the people who sort it out uh-huh. by ourselves. What was the initially. incident? 
Again, it was the eco-protesters. Right. So it was the protest thing that okay. would have got the police running. What's What's the most bizarre incident you've ever been called to, apart from people dressed up as bunnies? Um, bizarre. <laughs> oh, funny, humorous. Funny, humorous. I, I do remember down the river a couple of years ago by the old ship pub, someone had been dared to swim across the river from the ship and then back, mm-hmm. and we found him naked wrapped in a girl's blouse a passerby had passed him a blouse to hide his modesty and when i said sir you know what do you do for a living as we took his details he said he was a company director of course he was (laughs) (laughs) Um, that strikes me as being bizarre mark would have even more (laughs) you've got some other ones have you we did have one uh, a few years back where we were tasked to a an inflatable in the river up at brentford and um so we we went up there thinking it was it was just going to be a i don't know you know, just an inflatable lilo or something like that. And when we got there, there was some kind of party going on and they'd launched uh, probably 10 or 12 different inflatables in the river, all all full of people. And there was... Um, there was big swans, big inflatable swans, ostriches. There was uh, Achilles Ballpark and, and a, a bouncy castle. Someone had, had, had inflated a bouncy castle and they thought it'd be a great idea for all these people to man these different inflatables and, and then just float up uh, on an incoming tide from Brentford up to Richmond. So that was that was quite a spectacle when we came around the corner and saw all the you know uh, a numerous amount of different sort of inflatables full of people, you know, all all with good intentions and and a bit of hijinks and a bit of fun, but yeah. you know also that could have ended very very badly. Sure. I mean, apart from it being a hazard, both to themselves and other other traffic as well, is yeah. that is that actually an offence, a breach of sort of waterways, byways, and sort of regulations there's, there's no kind of this is the thing with the river you know there's there's a lot of things that you would you would consider that would that would be offences that actually aren't it's a bit like you know people swimming in the Thames mm. you know very very dangerous and you'd like to think that that it, it was illegal to do so but it's not you know you can you can you can sort of put a boat in anywhere on the river that you want if there's a slip you can you can you can just put it in it's got to be legal the mm. boat has got to be legal but you know, we, we've been called in the past to, to people and public have called it in and there's a boat in difficulty and you get there and you know there's half a dozen people on there and they've clearly been you know drinking mm. and um they shouldn't be in charge of a vessel at all you know and then we because we're not the police we, we would we would then you know inform the police we'd call the police up and or we'd call the coast guard and ask for the police intervention and they'll come and and and, and tell them that they need to get off the river but um there's not a great deal of of sort of illegal stuff as mm. such um that, that that that's going on or, or like criminal people, activity going on the river i don't know smuggling and so on and so forth do you get involved in that or uh, no i mean we we, we don't get in we wouldn't get involved in anything like that aussie aussie search and rescue um but that's as you go further down the river, uh, we hear that you know there's 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 more of that as you go down. So probably sort of down Gravesend, uh, the, where the barrier is, where the, the Thames barrier is, and Gravesend lifeboat station is. There's 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 they they put the police sort of patrol their their delta ribs up and down there quite regular, and and they can board the boats to search, and they take the sniffer dogs on the boats and and have them on there searching. That. Right. So that's more sort of. Down, down that way as it's sort of coming in, I guess, you know. We're more law-abiding up here, aren't we? Are you? <laughs> it's much much nicer up here, isn't it, than down, down the other end. 
we, we've spoken obviously a lot about the serious stuff that goes on. How do you guys relax when you're not on, on duty? Well, we've... <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was obvious as I walked in here, there seemed to be a, a, you know, a good deal of camaraderie. You're taking the mickey out of each other, you know, about... You know. We sit up, up, up in a flat, flat on a sofa together. <clears throat> yes, we do. Yeah, we've got, we've, got a, we've, we've got a flat that we rent just at the back of the station here uh-huh. so that, you know, when we're, when we're off shift, we're off the station. But the, the thing of it is we're, we're on call 24-7. So even though we're off shift, we, our twelve-hour shift is finished, and we're we're over the flat. We're still we're still on call. So if it was a, a big incident like the you said the Marchioness disaster, we could launch the second boat, uh, the first boat within fifteen minutes, and the second boat within thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. But it would be sooner than that because like uh, tonight when we come off shift, James and myself will be over the flat, and we'll uh, we'll go over there and have some tea and and watch a bit of telly. Or sometimes we'll have a wander down to the down to one of the pubs and just have a have a have a small sherry maybe. Um, <laughs> Why not? Why um, not? You know, so we we we, we socialise as well with 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 the with the volunteer crew. You know, we'll we'll have certain nights where we'll send out a text and say if anybody wants to, you know, pop down for for a drink, we'll, we'll meet up and just have a just have a social drink. We have to keep it sort of tightly knit. And when we all look after each other as well, you know, when we're out on that boat, it's everybody's got their eyes on everybody else. And we would, we would never let any of the crew come to any sort of harm, you know, when we're out on service calls or anything like that. It would be remiss of me as well, not to mention that this is a voluntary organization as well, funded by public and fundraising activities. I don't, you obviously get some money from the government. I would hope. No, we, we, you get nothing at all from the government. We get nothing from the government. No. Oh, that's your name. But we don't get any funding from the government whatsoever, Nothing which is great, actually, which is, which is good. Uh, it, it, it keeps in, you completely free of government interference, I suppose. Exactly. And, and, you know, I hate to say it, but it's a general feeling through the institution that if the government had some sort of, you know, intervention with the institution, we'd, we'd see Lifeboat Station yeah. closing down. Yeah. Yeah, so it's exactly. purely from the goodness of the hearts of the general public, and obviously you've got I don't know foundations and benefactors who yeah, are we've, it's purely on donations and and legacies. Yeah, you know we get a lot of people who who pass away and and bequeath money, you know, uh, to the RNLI as part of their legacy, and some pretty substantial amounts as well. And we do fundraising events that that, that we that we attend, even in you know the economic climate that we're in at the moment, you know where everything's a bit tight. We we never cease to to raise decent amounts of money when we go out when we go out and fundraise, and the amount of people that will come up to us in London and put a, put five pounds or ten pounds in the bucket in London and say, you know, ten years ago, you know, the RNLI came out just offshore and rescued my mum and dad. You know, it's 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 not confined to 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 London or it's not confined to the coast. It's one big family. Yeah. And you know the, the fact that somebody has put ten pounds in a bucket in London. To go towards the RNLI because their parents was were, were saved off the coast of Shoreham ten years ago, it's quite remarkable, really. Mm-hmm. And what what work goes on in terms of public awareness of river safety and water safety and all those sort of things? Loads, loads. Come on, yeah. let's hear about no, them. We have These are crucial, obviously. Uh, water safety, um, a community water safety team uh, whose job it is to spread the message regarding water safety, uh, and that's a, we're really pushing that at the moment. So, for instance, a couple of years ago, university boat race, and more than a couple of years ago, possibly five years ago, I think we rescued about 60-plus people off the foreshore, all who got caught out by the tide. So they were rescued. So these were spectators? Yeah, just punters, you know, watchers. 
uh, observers. And um, after that, the boat race was targeted. Measures were put in place to inform people of the risk of being caught out by the wash and the, uh, the tide. And we've barely had any trouble since then regarding, you know, rescuing mm. people who've just come along. So the water safety message is paramount. So you go into schools, for example. Yeah, and... we've got a lifeboat schools visitor officer. She'll uh, schools visitor officer. She will uh, bring schools here. We'll go to schools uh, this evening. A couple of us are doing a life jacket clinic, whereby um, one of the rowing clubs has invited us along. We'll check about sixty life jackets, and then we'll be able to say whether the life jackets are functioning or not. So that's all part of the the water safety brief. Fantastic. Well, gents, it's been a, an absolute pleasure to uh, have you both here uh, on the uh, podcast. Very grateful for your time. I'm glad we have another, the red phone hasn't uh, buzzed or rung or whatever it does uh, whilst, whilst we've been here. But before we go, how can people find out more about you guys through social media, through the website? How do they get in touch with you? Well, we've got a massive um, social media presence. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of going into your search engine of choice, RNLI, RNLI Chiswick, RNLI Thames, and you'll be diverted then to whatever... Um, website you know takes your fancy so you're on instagram you're on twitter yeah you got the website all all, all of that yeah yep. all of that so you're very easy to find I'm, yes i, I must yep, confess do you have your own personal sort of twitter accounts or anything if people want to see what you guys are up to we do but, <laughs> but you don't want to give them out that's absolutely <laughs> yeah. fine i quite I, like working here <laughs> I know you don't want to mix work and work and pleasure. I, I know, Mark, you had a little story, well, quite an important story with your dog recently. I don't think that was River Connected, was it, or was it? Uh, no, it wasn't, no. actually, no. Um, but it's still a saving <clears throat> saving story. And uh, I think since that, since that, you know, we, we often get asked what, what, what our biggest achievement is yeah. you know, when we do some of these interviews. And for me, for sure, um, that one will, will be you know my biggest achievement for as long as i can remember now but it was um and a lot of a lot of what i've learned since being with the institution with the the medical side of things and the casualty um care and first aid training that we get kind of came came into play just over two weeks ago now and my dog my my pet hugo is a a fox red labrador four-year-old and uh, i had him over the park one one morning early and um he uh, he basically swallowed his ball, so he ran after his ball like he always does, fetch it, bring it back, and um, and he swallowed it, and he was choking, and uh, I realised he was choking, and um, and uh, yeah, there he is, yeah, a beautiful picture, of him. yeah, he's yeah, he's, he's beautiful, and yeah. um, and got sale, and basically. Uh, you know, I, I used everything that I'd learned from the RNLI and, and I'd, I'd actually taken the time to, to research dog CPR and how to perform CPR on a dog. And um, and unfortunately, Hugo did go into cardiac arrest. I couldn't get the ball out to start with because it was so far down his throat and it was absolutely solid until he stopped breathing. When, once he stopped breathing and he everything relaxed, I could then knock the ball up from the outside over his fur until I could get my hand down his throat to yank it out wow. and he he stopped breathing then obviously so I then had to perform CPR on him over the park and I did that for two or three minutes and um thankfully um thankfully I managed to I managed to revive him and and get him back thank goodness for that but not after he'd taken it uh, taken some chunks he bit through my fingers and and um or trying to stop you getting your hand out yeah of his throat. because he was he was that was when he was, was taking his last breath so wow. 
you know, um, yeah, that was that was very very traumatic. Um, but so so pleased that the outcome was just incredible. So I'm I'm kind of using that now. Um, I've applied. I've done, just done some crowdfunding to to get uh, to get a a dog mannequin, a CPR mannequin, so that I can actually teach people now. Go out and teach people externally on because you rescue a lot of do dogs it. on the river as well, we, don't you? We have a lot of dog rescues uh, every year here on the river. Uh-huh. Yeah, we do. So. You know, this has really kind of opened up something that I want to, I want to pursue on a personal level. Yeah. And every single dog owner I've spoken to since that day have had no idea how to perform CPR on a dog. Oh, I wouldn't imagine most so, people have a clue how to no, do it exactly. on a human, let alone a dog. <laughs> so it's a bit of a crusade now to get out there and and use what I've learned with the institution and and, and my love of dogs and the fact of my my story with Hugo to yeah, it's a wonderful story. to get people and, to do it. And obviously, the institution doesn't mind about you promoting the story so how do people if they want to contribute to your crowdfunding how do they go about doing that well it's 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 done now to it's be all fair. Done. yeah okay. yeah we've i mean i'd raised i'd raised 75 percent of the money that i needed uh in less than 24 hours and that that was basically through the volunteers at the station and how wonderful and you know um within within the own ally it went internally and and I, within within less than twenty four hours, I had pretty much seventy five percent of the money. So that will pay for the um, the mannequin to do it with, and also the course that I need to do in order to get the accreditation to uh, allow me to go on and teach it. Fantastic! So. Another string to your bow, and uh, another bonus for everybody um, in London. Yes, indeed, uh, and yeah. and they're 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 dogs. Yeah, hopefully. bless them. So so well done to you on that. That's, that's very that's much great. Steve. Thank you. Well, folks, we're at that time of the interview when I ask my guests to tell us a place in London that they particularly love, that may be personal to them. It could be a walk, a cafe, part of the river in this case. So I'm going to go um, with Mark, first of all. What, 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 where's your place in London, Mark, that you, you particularly love and that you could recommend to people? Yeah, this, uh, well, there's a couple of places. Um, but um, I think for me, uh, Chiswick House, because it's sort of local to us and um, it's such a beautiful place in the summertime. You can go over there. There's there's uh, there's a waterfall there. There's a lake. Um, there's so much going on. There's a big stately home there, a coffee shop, and I think probably for me it, it, the reason I love it is because I'm a, a massive dog lover. As, I've, as, I, as I said earlier, I've got I've got two two Labrador retrievers, and that's a big place for people to go and walk their dogs. So I'm surrounded by people who have got the same interests as what I have with the dogs. And it's it's just such a, a beautiful place. We do the the Chiswick Dog Show. We attend there every year as well, which is in uh, in September. And um and we go over and, and we talk to people uh, at the dog show about the the dangers of dogs around uh, fast flowing water. So um I know the grounds manager over there. She she's very very good. And um it's it's just a lovely it's just a lovely place to go. And and you can just walk around there, or you can lay by the lake. I often go over and in the summer time if i'm on a night shift on a lifeboat i'll have a walk over there it's only 10 15 minute walk from here and i'll have a walk around the grounds and i'll have a lay down in the sun by the lake and it's just sounds idyllic it's just it's just beautiful and in london as well yeah, peaceful you, place in london you'd, you'd never you'd when you're laying down by the lake looking up at the skies other than the fact that there's a plane going over every 15 minutes <laughs> you would never know you're anywhere near no, london lovely is that run by the national trust or um, one of the other sort of uh, heritage organizations i'm, I'm not sure to be honest i don't know if no. it's a but it's like a the, the house itself is open to the public as well is it or just the grounds it's the it's the grounds the they've grounds got mostly. they've got the the big house in there that they use for functions so it's uh-huh. for weddings okay. and, and and stuff like that right. but it's uh, the upkeep on it is is incredible i mean 
me. It's a, it's a lovely, it's just a really lovely, clean. Sounds great. A happy place to go, you know, for families. And there's, there's all, there's all the sorts of different statues in there and, and different sort of plants. They do like a farmer's market and stuff over there as well, where Sounds they sell sort of local produce. It out. And yeah, yeah, it's well worth a look. Brilliant. Thank you for that. What about James? No what have you got to, to recommend us? Let me and think. Two London venues I can think of. Um, <laughs> it'll be the outdoor gym at Battersea Park. Uh huh. You don't get to look like this at 51 without going to an outdoor gym. <laughs> Ripped. And, uh, <laughs> also, <laughs> and also. Now we're going to take some photographs after as well. Funnily enough, um, the Grenadier Pub, Wilton Muse. Okay. Very um, famous pub. The Duke of Wellington's officers used to mess there. Very difficult to find. And it's perfect for a blind date for saying, I'll see you at the Grenadier. And then invariably, you get someone phoning up or texting saying, I can't find it. But it's a very nice pub. <laughs> Why is that good for a blind date? Well, you like to test their intelligence, I imagine. <laughs> I thought you could sort of spot if they're coming and sort of, you know, see if they're suitable or not. <laughs> All right, guys, there's some, uh, some three excellent examples there. And we'll, we'll add those to our list. Thank you guys once again very much for your time. Every week here at Your London Legacy, we bring straight to your device a new and fascinating guest with a wonderful London-based story. We hope you enjoy listening to their timeless stories as much as we enjoy creating them for you. If so, the best way to show your appreciation is to subscribe to the show. Simply go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com and pop your name and email in the box where shown. That way, you'll never miss another episode. Thank you for your support.